it's within you, let us bow down and pray to God. Almighty Father, we acknowledge that you are one. You are the only God. You're omnipotent. You're all-powerful. You're all-loving. And Father, today we worship you and we acknowledge you as our Lord and Master. Lord, we love you. We will your good above all other things. We want what's best for you above all other things of this world and above any cares that we have. Lord, we also love each other. We love our neighbors. We love them and we will their good just as we will the good of ourselves. And it's so beautiful, Father, that you have given us through your grace this ability to worship you, to lift you up, to recognize who you are. And we thank you, Father, that we can have a relationship with you after our deeds have separated us from you. And thank you is just not enough. We praise your name. We lift you up. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, first off, um, this is a very humbling subject for me, and um, I appreciate um, those that say this is kind of Todd's Ahab moment. <laughs> when I say Ahab moment, I mean Ahab chasing Moby Dick. You know, that's his, that was his the focus of his life, um, and hopefully that hasn't come across to you as we've studied this over the past month. Because I genuinely believe this subject to be one of the key foundational teachings of the entire Bible. We started this study, and Tony started off uh, about a month ago, four weeks ago, talking about Mark 12. And really, this study is all about Mark 12, 29 through 33. And if we were to approach this as we do the Bible, sometimes we read it and we go through it and it's interesting. Sometimes we miss these dynamic moments. This is a dynamic moment in the Bible. This is one of those earth-shattering moments. When you read it, it has an effect on you to where you say, wow, the wow moment. Today, we, when we read God's Word, should have wow moments because it's God working within us for our good and for our changing. That's what this scripture is when you look at Mark 12, 29 through 33. You have this religious leader, this lawyer, who just heard Jesus arguing, or not really arguing, but giving this good answer to a Sadducee, someone who did not believe in the resurrection, so they were Sadducee. It's a good way to remember it. So he was giving this great answer to a Sadducee. And then this Pharisee, presumably, is sitting there going, boy, that was a good answer. I wish I would have thought of that one. He said, I, I need to ask him some more questions because he seems to have great insight. See, we go beyond that. We know Jesus is much more than just a prophet or just some great person, great teacher, very smart person. We know Jesus as the being that is part of the Godhead that has been with God since creation. So when Jesus is sitting there and that Pharisee, that teacher is saying, I see you gave a good answer. What's the most important command? That is asking God 
And boy, I wish I could do that. I, I wish I could sit down physically with Jesus and have this conversation with him in that manner, just like they did. But he said, what's the most important command? Of all these hundreds of commands contained in the Old Testament, in the book of Moses, the Pentateuch, what's the most important? Now, if that's not shattering and if that's not important, I don't know what it is. You're asking God, the creator of everything, Almighty God, omnipotent, all-knowing, what is the most important thing that I should consider? That's the feeling that I get when I read this, okay? What was Jesus' response? He gave him three things. I've done a lot of reading about how the Jews wrote things and how they reasoned through things. I think Jesus is using a figure of speech because this young man, I presume he's young, I don't know how old he was, but this person, when he's asking, wants to know one thing. What's the most important? Jesus comes back with three things. But in literature, there's these literature terms, there's these um, forms of speaking. This is called a mirrorism, M-E-R-I-S-M. You could jot that down and read about it later. But basically what a mirrorism is, is when you give three traits of one object, or three or more traits, you can give several traits to mean one object. What's an example of that? Hook, line, and sinker. What do we mean? Well, he had me hook, line, and sinker. It means he had you completely. Lock, stock, and barrel, right? It means all the same thing. Head to toe, all of your body. That's a mirrorism. So Jesus is taking this opportunity to say, I'm going to answer your question about what's the most important thing by giving you three things that all talk about the same. Understand? The very first thing he says here, listen Israel, hear Shema, Shema prayer. We just prayed some of that prayer. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. And I don't know about you, when I used to read through this, I would blaze through that. Okay, that's nice to know. Boom. And I want to get to the love part. I love love. Because love makes me feel good, right? It's a, it's a cool thing. But I misunderstood it. Because this teaching is fundamental and beyond all the other things you're going to read, it has to be in place before you can do anything else. He's telling them, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one God. And you have to acknowledge that first. That's worship. That is worship. He didn't say, you need to jump up, sing, feel really good, and then, boom, you're worshiping. Didn't say that. You acknowledge who God is in your mind and know that he is the only God and you bow down to him and you worship him. That's what this means. And truly, when you look at this, there's three things mentioned. Worship is a big part of it, and I've hit these, these interlocking concentric circles. Worship is at the center of it. But then when you worship God and you, you recognize his power and his glory and what he is, then you move on. And then you say, you know, because I've worshiped God and I put him above all things in my life, I love him. I love God. Love means, and we're going to notice this in further studies. Hopefully we're going to continue on through some of this study of Mark 12. But the next part, we're going to talk about what it really means to love. What it really means to love is I'm pursuing the good of someone else. I'm pursuing your good. I'm willing your good, and I'm going to seek that out. When we say, I love you, God, above all other things, it means I seek his purposes first. Because I worship you, God, 
I worship you. I love you. And then he follows it up, Jesus says, and then you love other people. How do you love them? You don't just go up and give them a hug, that Philadelphia love that we read. It's about willing the good of other people. Because you worship God and because you love others more than you love yourself, or you love God more than you love yourself, you're going to do what God does, right? What is God? He loves all of us. And because we worship him and we love him more than anything else, we're going to do what he does, and that is you love people. I pursue your good just as much as I pursue my own good. See how that works? And if you break any part of that chain, you're going to be lacking in one of those areas. It's a chain. You're going to say, wait a minute, Todd. Are you telling me that worship is more important than loving God? What I'm telling you today is you can't love God the way that you need to if you don't worship him. Truly worship him. And if you're not loving people the way God loves people, there's something wrong with your base level of worship and how you're loving God because you're not loving people the way God loves them. It's an interlocking circle. Jesus said this is the most important thing that you can do. It's what Jesus said. It's amazing. You see, Jesus didn't call us all to be a bunch of lawyers. He could have picked out any number of commandments within that old law. He didn't call people out to be lawyers and say, you know, the most important command is dissecting this whole thing about Sabbath and not working on it. And this is what worked. He didn't do that. He didn't call people to be lawyers. He called them to be lovers. God calls us to be lovers. Just as he loves people, he intends for us to love. And it's all based on worship. Putting him first. Acknowledging him as creator. Those things are linked. So rather than giving you some lecture on terms, I thought maybe this would be more effective. And actually, in some ways I'm more comfortable doing this, and in some ways I'm not. I'm going to share with you the impact of worship on my life, okay? And this is not to show you how great I am because I'm not. This is to show you how I truly messed up worship in my life and the effect that it has had on me. So rather than me giving you a bunch of textbook discussions and teaching, I'm going to share with you the story of my life and the story of how worship has really hit me. It's a tale of two Todds. I almost called this a tale of two Toddies to kind of ring like a tale of two cities, but I, I didn't do that. I spared you, even though I just shared it. All right, so I was searched for a story that would somehow communicate this to everyone, and I, and I remember hearing about the battleship story. Okay, the battleship story goes like this. Back in the World War II time frame, there was this mainline battleship cruiser out in the Atlantic Ocean off of the uh, coast of Europe somewhere. And as it, it's a particularly foggy night, and if you know, these battleships never traveled alone. Back in World War II, these battleships could pull up to a shore, point all of its guns, and just level cities. Powerful ships. But you couldn't turn them on a dime, right? You couldn't go like you would in your speedboat where you're skiing and do these crazy corners. With a battleship, you have to really exert a lot of effort to turn it in a direction. And when it's going, it just keeps going, right? 
and it leads others with it. It's got uh, destroyers that follow it. It's got ambulance frigates that, to treat sick people. So one night, particularly foggy, this battleship is cruising uh, off the coast of Europe. And as it's going, it's, it's the type of fog that just doesn't stick over an area. The winds would blow, and you'd have moments of clarity. You'd see through the fog. Well, they had one of these moments, in, and back in those days, they didn't have GPS. They didn't have the modern instrumentation that we do. And they did a lot of stuff by line of sight, kind of like we, we walk today, okay? So they had no way other than visualization, guidance by the stars, those types of things to really navigate and maps, all right? So you can imagine how scary that would be if you were out in the middle of a fog on the ocean in an area you weren't familiar with and trying to navigate through those areas. It's pretty scary stuff, right? Well, as they're going through, they've got all of these officers on the lookout in the crow's nest. They're looking through their binoculars, trying to make out any type of uh, navigational points so they'd know where they were going. And they were really pretty much lost. They lost their bearing. So as they're going along, again, you're on a battleship, you feel pretty good, right? I'm on a battleship, all right? This isn't a dinghy. They're going along, and they see in the distance, as the fog would blow away, they'd see this little pinprick of light that was out there. And as they got closer, uh, the captain told the radio operator, you need to contact that vessel and let them know we're bearing on them. So he did. He calls and said, hey, unknown vessel at whatever coordinates, we are a battleship and we're bearing down on your position. You need to move. Well, the vessel radios back and says, you move. I'm not moving. Who are you? <laughs> so they're getting closer. Wind's blowing and that light's just getting a little bit brighter each time as they're getting closer in. Captain says, didn't you call that guy and let him know they need to move? Because we're coming through. And he said, okay, I'll try again. He tries again, raises the same answer. You move. I'm not moving. Finally, the third time, it's getting close. And the captain says, give me the radio. I'm going to talk to this person. Look, I'm Captain so-and-so of the USS whatever. And this is a mainline battleship in the U.S. inventory. Move your ship now or we're going to ram. Bravado. Well, the guy comes back and says, uh, look, my name is Fred and I'm on the island of whatever, and we're a lighthouse. Okay? The problem was, that battleship had this perspective that they had it all figured out, right? They were pompous. I'm on a battleship. What's this puny little thing out there? Their perception was skewed because they thought they were sitting on solid ground in a battleship, right? the most devastating force at that time on the water. And here this little lighthouse is sitting off on a cove. Of course, we know what would happen, right? If he just kept going, he'd run aground. Because the foundation of that lighthouse was much more stable than the foundation that the battleship was on. See, that's me, in essence, with my twisted view of worship. Because worship is a foundation. And a fact I'm going to give you here today is my misunderstanding about worship nearly shipwrecked my faith. It did. 
You can read that scripture. I'm not going to take the time this morning to do it, but in 1 Timothy 1.19, Paul is giving Timothy, hey, look, here's some instructions to live by. And one of the things that he talked about there was there's some people that have ignored the teaching, that have ignored truth, and they don't follow their conscience, and they've shipwrecked their faith. Because I misunderstood what this worship thing was, that was the course I was heading. I was like the captain on that battleship. I thought I had it all figured out. I have a call from my contractor. You mind if I take this? Just kidding. All right. So to better exemplify this, let me play a video for you. Let me guess. that when I look at worship, I don't look at it in terms of this. When that Xerxes guy is walking down off of his chariot, did you notice all the men bowing? You know what they were doing? They were worshiping him because they bowed down before him and he walked on top of them and he walked on. From a human perspective, the worst thing in the world is a God that's a person because in reality, we are all, as individuals, as people, we're horrible gods. 
And in this video, what it's saying here, you had King Leonidas, and I can relate to him. I know, I know, I'm going beyond the way he looks because we're very similar. Um, but I go beyond that in that he's sitting there saying, I'm not going to bow to you. You know, I've been fighting all day and I got this cramp in my leg. I'm not going to bow down to you because it was pride, right? He was proud. And he would never bow down to this king, this huge being. And in some ways, that's very honorable in that setting because he's a man. But what I found is that's my attitude towards God. That's my attitude towards God, or it has been. In my old way of thinking in religion, I was that I had the truth on worship. I grew up with that. You know, we have the truth on worship in my tradition. And I know it's not unique to our the tradition I grew up in, I think it was in many different traditions that people think that this is the way it's got to be. This is the way it's done. This is our tradition. This is it. And that tradition revolved around going to a specific place on Sunday and spending that time, which was the most important time, and that was called worship. That was worship at that time. That had an impact on me, and I'm talking from the earliest times. That's, that's what I did. We dressed up and we put on our best clothes because that was worship. And we had a set order of worship. We had things that we did. You had to have a prayer. You had to have four songs. You had to have this and that. And that was worship. And we had the truth on it. And we recognized, yeah, it's, you've got other times that are outside of that special time. But those are not quite as important as that Sunday. You better get it right. That was Something I always remembered. And we put off our best. We had our best preachers get up. We had our best song leaders get up and lead singing because that's worship, and this is extremely important that we get it structurally correct. It depended on external things. We were more concerned at that time with, in, in, when I was in that time, I was more concerned with learning how to sing better than learning how to love better. I was more concerned with getting techniques right and external things and, and going to public speaking classes and, and learning and just being a better performer. I wanted to put on a good show because that was what was important. It was important that I get that down to the extent that it was the most important thing. It was just another thing I did for God. And if, a lot of times it was based on a feeling. And I found myself in all of that to be in a situation where I had God in this small box. And it was called Sunday. And in that box, I would come in and I would, I'd put so much effort towards it that, yes, I tried to live a good life every day. But I never considered that worship. That was just good stuff that I did. Good stuff that I honored God with. It was just, it was a nice thing. And I should do that because I need to obey the commands of the Bible. But I never once considered that as worship. The problem with that is, and as I've later recognized, I looked through my life, and as I got older, and I started hanging around with other Christians. I had this 
understanding that everybody understood worship this way. And I'd go off to these, what, was, what were called church gatherings, church meetings every year. And I'd go, and there would be these men that would get up and lead songs. I would lead songs at these big meetings. And then I would hang around them afterwards, and, and we'd socialize and get outside of it. And they would throw huge parties back at their rooms. <laughs> They'd have bathtubs full of beer. Uh, I remember going uh, out with a young lady that confided in me that a friend of mine actually got her pregnant at one of these meetings. Well, again, I was still young and I still didn't have this worship thing figured out at all. I thought I did. I thought I understood it. I'm kind of on the battleship there. And I got to thinking, well, if they can do that, man. So as long as you get the one part right, everything else is secondary. Yeah, you need to be a good life and live up to your reputation. But when you get outside of that, then, man, you've got all kinds of freedoms. Live however you want because, again, the most important thing is the most important thing. And I fast forward through my life. This grew over time to the point where I got so addicted to a video game, my life, that I nearly lost everything. I, I did lose my job. It, it really periled, imperiled my marriage. It questioned, made me question my faith. I wanted to end my life. I was so depressed. And you might say, well, what does that have to do with worship? It has everything to do with worship. Because in my mind, I rationalized that I could show up on Sunday and participate in an assembly and everything else was okay. I could go off and live my life however I wished to live it. Worship means you're bowing your knee to God and you're lifting him up. And what I've realized, what it took me a long time to realize, was I was playing a game. God would be on the throne at certain times, and then I would kick him off, and I'd get, get on the throne. Romans 12.1 says we're to offer our bodies as living sacrifices to God, which is our holy and acceptable worship to him, right? But what I was doing, I'm the sacrifice on the altar at times, and I'd crawl off. <laughs> the sacrifice would crawl off the altar and, and get back up and start doing its thing. The problem with that. And what I didn't understand is I only allowed God to be a God of my life in certain areas. And in other times, I was God. How do I know this? I got to determine what worship was acceptable. I remember times after simply sitting in these very areas, I, I go, you know, that lesson did not do a whole lot for me. That singing was not that great. That second per person on the left in the praise team up there, they're not hitting that pitch right in the center. I was the center of worship, right? I'm judging your performance. And it's a good thing that we worship God and you're not worshiping me because I'm a terrible God. I'm horrible. I'm detestable. I determine what is right and wrong in the world based on the way I feel. It was obvious because if I determined it on God's bounds, there's no way I would look like and do the things that I was doing, right? 
When we're the God of our lives, because that's what happens, there is no other God but Jehovah God. No other God. So by default, when we start going away from the true worship of God, you know what happens? We start worshiping ourselves. That's it. So when you walk away from the worship of God and we say, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to worship Baal as they did in the Bible. Or they went out from the children of Israel while Moses was up on the mountain. Remember that? And the Ten Commandments were given. They went and they made this golden calf. Because back in Egypt, they saw all these animals and how they worshiped. And they said, let's make a golden calf because that's what we saw. Do you think those people were actually bowing down to that calf inside? They were doing it physically. What they were doing was looking for a feeling Replacing God in his rightful place and lifting up this God to worship him. And that God was themselves. And that's the problem. When we choose not to worship God the way that he intended, we often put ourselves in his place. I deceive myself by minimum performance. I'm going to do just enough not to go to hell. That was my mentality. Now, I understood what grace was. I do. Today, I understand what grace is completely. This wasn't so much a salvation issue as a purpose issue in my life and living the way God wanted me to. And I could walk away from things. I could walk away from you or anybody else if that made me happy. That sound familiar? If you break down and you don't do things the way I see that you should line up doing them, and I can walk away from you in our fellowship, there's something wrong with that without any recourse. I question if I truly love you the way God loves you. I was totally discontented. I was a terrible God. I had no peace, no joy, self-centered love. Everything around me, the only thing I loved was based on how it made me feel and what it meant to me. If the lesson was too long, that makes me feel bad. If the singing's not so good, that makes me feel bad. If I go off and my children make me unhappy with them, that's bad. And people pay the consequences for the way I feel because I worship me, I'm not worshiping God. And that's the danger. I could get up here and I could sing, and you look at me and you think, man, that guy's on fire for the Lord. But I put on a show. And I can do that, and I can praise God, and at the time I feel it, and I can walk right out of the building, and I could get on a game and play it for hours and lie to everybody and be addicted to that thing. Because I was doing just enough, and I really didn't have this understanding of what true worship was. There is a difference between worship and praise, okay? There's a difference between those two things. I didn't understand it. And the truth was, it was slowly eating away at me and killing me. It was killing me. And I hope, if you're going through some of these same circumstances, as you're living your life, maybe, maybe this resonates with you as well. But it, I want to stress this to you this morning as I'm getting close to wrapping up here. The core problem with us is not sin. It's not, it's not these symptoms. It wasn't my video game playing that got me fired that was the problem. The core problem, and it's like going to the doctor, by the way. When you go to the doctor and you talk to the doctor, and he says, Doc, I'm sneezing a lot. I can't keep my nose from running. Does the doctor turn to you and say, you know what? You need to stop that right now. 
wipe your nose and quit letting it run. Does it, is that how the doctor does? But that's how we teach against sin, right? That's what I was familiar with. And I felt guilty. The core problem was not the sin. It was the core, the foundation. My foundation was off, and it screwed everything else up. The core is that we've ignored these basic fundamental teachings that, that Jesus taught. I'm going to show you a scripture right now, and this is what I'm going to leave you with this morning. I want us to focus the rest of the time on this. I've read this passage, I don't know how many times, Luke 14, 25 through 33. Jesus is once again, this is a parallel to what we've been talking about in Mark 12. And Jesus is saying, look, I'm going to tell you what it means to be my disciple. Can you tell somebody that doesn't know Jesus how to be a disciple? Can you do that? I suggest that you share Jesus' words with them. Here's one of the core principles that Jesus shared. Jesus starts off this passage and he says, look, if you don't hate your mother and your father and truly your own self, what does he say? It's in yellow up there. He says, such a person can't be my disciple. And I've highlighted the cannot be my disciple things. What does that have to do with Mark It has everything to do, Right? What does it mean when he's saying hate? He's not actually saying you go and you hate them and you want to murder your family. No, he's not saying that. What he's saying is when you put them above me, it's a prioritization. I can worship you and I can worship all of you today and put God at a lower level and be willing to sacrifice him in any given situation. That's what he's saying here. You can't be my disciple without putting me first. Then he gives two stories. Notice these and I'll be done. He says, suppose... You want to build a tower. You want to build this building. And you go off, and he says, if a person went out and did that, and they didn't think about how much it's going to cost them ahead of time, they're a fool, right? There's the first one. The second one, I want you to really pay attention to this one. Then he says, it's like a king. He's sitting in his castle. He's sitting in his kingdom, and this army's coming to make war with him. What does he say there? He says, well, that, if, it's, if the king is wise, what he's going to do is he's going to send out messengers, kind of like what we saw with Xerxes and King Leonidas. You're going to send out messengers. You're going to sue for peace. You're going to negotiate a peace settlement because that's a wise king. You're going to surrender to that overwhelming power. You know what that is? That's worship. Because back in the, those days, when a king would come in and raid another country, one of the first things they'd do is they'd bow before that king. That's what that was up there. The reason why the big Xerxes guys wanted Leonidas to bow his knee, because he wanted him to worship him as his superior. Today, you can't be Jesus' disciple according to this without surrendering to God and his power and his authority. That is worship. It's total surrender. It's not, I'm going to give it to God in these circumstances, but over here I've really got it under control, and I don't need him to be the Lord over here. But notice how he wraps up this passage. He says, it's the same way. Those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. It's Jesus' words, not mine. So I got three questions. What do I need today to worship? 
We heard Daniel speak a couple of weeks ago about how worship was conducted in the Old Testament, right? You needed an altar, you needed the presence of God, you needed a priest, right? You needed all those things. Today, we are the fulfillment of that. We are the altar temple. We contain the Spirit of God. We're the sacrifice. We're the priest. The presence of God dwells in us. All we need to worship God is to give ourselves to God. That is worship. When does worship begin? When do you start worshiping? Well, I started right about the third song, the song set, because it feels good. And right there, I'm cooking good. You know the Misha prayer that we quote, that we've been going on? The Jews were commanded in the old law to say that when they woke up in the morning and when they went down to bed and they closed their eyes at the end of the day. And they were to recite that. Very devout Jews would say that prayer throughout the entire day. Why is that? Because they were continuously reminding themselves who they worshipped, who they bowed down to. He is God, and he has that place that important place within me. When does it begin? It begins when we offer ourselves. So here's the last question. When does worship end? Is there a time where we walk away and say, okay, I'm done worshiping. I've done my part today. I've sang all the, that got me. I've sung all my songs. I shut it down. See, in my mind, for me, how great is it when I come in with you together, and we're all worshiping God already. How wonderful is that? You might say, well, Todd, you're, you're trying to keep people from coming to church on Sunday. I've, I've heard this a million times. If we teach this, people won't come. Well, here's the thing. When you really worship God and you love him above all others and you're loving other people, you can't keep people away. You can't keep people away. And the problem today is not this teaching on worship. Well, it is because we don't understand it. The problem today is you drive by the building and nobody's here except on certain times of the week. Go over to Acts tw- uh, chapter 2 and read. They met every day because why? They worshiped God. They loved God, everything they had, and they loved each other. This is fundamental teaching. The truth is, better presented probably by this man right here, A.W. Tozer, and I'll leave you with these quotes. He says, What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Worship is pure or base as the worshiper entertains high or low thoughts about God. If you're not worshiping God on Monday the way you did the day before, perhaps you're not worshiping him at all. And then this last one, if you do not worship God seven days a week, you do not worship him on one day a week. There is no such thing known in heaven as Sunday worship unless it's accompanied by Monday worship and Tuesday worship and so on. I wish I could put up a video and show you these shortcomings in my life and show how this has impacted me. Because I've, I've, what I fear is we emphasize things in, and you're saying, oh, Todd, you're just hooked on semantics and words. It's not that. It's a philosophy that just about destroyed my faith. And what we do is we think, you come and we take people here and they get this great experience, but none of that has the power to change your life. God in your life, every day, 24-7, changes you. 
And when you worship him all the time, we grow. But when you relegate it and you water it down and you say, this is the only time it happens, then it has no power to aid you when the fire starts. And it consumed me. That's the lesson today. That's the lesson. And to me, when we speak of worship, it's really summed up by this. Yes, we worship today when we sing songs. Yes, we worship when we pass the basket and put the money in the basket. And yes, we worship when we get up next morning and we go to work and we show the Spirit of God to people that are lost and dying in this world. And yes, we worship God when we go home and we love our families the way that we're supposed to. And yes, we worship God when we go to a football game and we're there with our friends and we're sharing in the Spirit of Christ. Because every act of a disciple of Christ is worship by the Scriptures. And the danger that's involved when we consider oh, it's just this time, is we limit God's power. There's a concern there. So I hope this has been a blessing to you this morning. Obviously, I feel very passionate about it, but it has the power to change your life.